0: Our first Golden Shadow events have been posted to the website goldenshadow.org. On April 10th is our first monthly Mythos Workshop, Exploring the Labors of Hercules. On April 8th, Meme Analysis and Spear of Fire Tarot will be coming to discuss the full tarot card.
1: On May 23rd, Cadell Lass will be coming to discuss the rift between Freud and Jung, and on July 10th, Dr. Murray Stein will be coming to speak with us about the history of Jungian thought and its current resurgence in popularity. Also, we will be hosting weekly conversations on the Clubhouse app for anyone and everyone who'd like to come to talk to us every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific.
0: All of this and more can be found on the website www.goldenshadow.org. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Golden Shadow. My name is Alyssa Polizzi,
0: and I am Aaron Rogerson.
1: Today, we're exploring the concept of confession from the standpoint of its religious and cultural traditions, as well as its psychological implications. Now, there are four stages of traditional Jungian analysis that are often spoke of. To my understanding, this is not a rigid structure that all analysts follow, but is rather an exploration in the different dynamics that seem to emerge in both the analytic encounter and also within deep personal relationships. The stages are confession, elucidation, education, and transformation. And the question that really emerged in my mind is, why is confession a cornerstone of the therapeutic relationship? Why do we see forms of confession woven through various religious traditions? Um, To me, it seems like it's ultimately an archetypal consideration. That is to say, it's universal to humankind to engage in confession.
0: So what we're really talking about here is making the implicit or the secret explicit, Mm. which is not much different than... Integrating the shadow in some sense. So, all of us have secrets. Some of those are really serious, dark secrets, maybe, but more sort of, um, more generally, we all are keeping things under the surface. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. might even be something simple like we're getting kind of annoyed at our romantic partner, but we're not going to say anything because it's too much trouble to get into an argument right now. We're always doing things like this and there's things you don't tell strangers you keep certain boundaries up between you and strangers naturally because it just it doesn't make sense to get intimate with everyone you encounter so it's not just about these like really dark things we're all keeping under the surface but yeah. part of living part of being human and part of being social especially is we do keep things suppressed we do mm-hmm. keep things under the surface yeah. we're not just dropping truth bombs on everyone around us all the time because you can't really function that way. Yeah. So confession, you can understand confession as as an important part of releasing that tension Mm. that we all carry, Mm -hmm. that burden we have of keeping secrets, that burden we have of keeping things suppressed and under the surface. And confession can really be thought of as this uh, ritual of relieving that pressure and how how might you do that ritual in a way that is balanced, uh, helpful, therapeutic, mm-hmm. and safe, as yeah. opposed to confessing in a way that is volatile or unsafe or mm-hmm. not in a, a proper container. Yeah. And so that's really what we're talking about today.
1: Yeah, I like that you brought that up. The container, I think, is extremely important both to the Jungian approach, but also to the more religious tradition approach because there's a sense that You're entering into some sort of vessel, some sort of contained environment where you can turn towards that shadow material, something you know that's been there, but you haven't fully addressed or fully opened up to. And this environment uh, is hopefully safe enough for you to really let that go to let it out, and for it to be received. I think that's another big part of it, both with a therapist, but also um, with a priest as an example, that you can speak out loud these kind of sins, that dark shadow material, and you're not going to just be rejected. It isn't going to just be thrown back in your face. You're not going to be punished for it. In fact, someone's going to receive it, hold that for you, and then you get to work with it. So that initial stage of confession, especially in the therapeutic standpoint, to me, it makes so much sense because you come into the therapeutic relationship with so much weight built upon your shoulders, and there needs to be that kind of initial element of of releasing and letting go and speaking out into the world those, uh, I don't know, those secrets, as you said, that have been kept under wraps.
0: Yeah, so I'm operating from a place of ignorance when it comes to Jungian analysis Mm -hmm. in this regard. So these are four stages of Jungian analysis, right? Yeah, yeah. So what's a good example or a good illustration of how confession might look in this therapeutic setting of Jungian analysis?
1: I think it's about uh, disclosure of information to the analyst directly, Um, you know, and obviously this is not just... uh, only happening in uh, the, the analytic relationship between the analysis um, process. It's for anyone going into therapy, seeing mm. any kind of therapist, there's that kind of initial uh, point, those first few sessions where you get to start to talk about what's going on in your life. So, it's going to be like, I cheated on my spouse and it's caused all of this upheaval. No one else knows about this. You know, I need to be able to work it out with you in this safe space because I can't talk to my sister or I can't talk to to my father about it. There's something really interesting that happens with uh, the kind of therapeutic space, the analytic relationship, where you can speak those really dark sort of sinful elements into um, in, into the environment, and you and someone isn't going to judge you for it. So coming into the analytic space and addressing what it is that's brought you here, you know, what are the complexes that seem to be ruling you? What is the shadow material that you've been running from? I think it's also important to remember that, there's no, I don't know, the, these stages don't actually unfold one after the other. There's like a constant cyclical nature of realizing you have something to confess or something coming through later on, or maybe feeling more comfortable to address something that you didn't feel comfortable about in the early elements of the, of the therapeutic relationship. So it's about owning your material, that inner psychic material, and then bringing it forward so it can be worked on.
0: Yeah, well, that last part you just said, you could understand it, I think, as the same way we sort of think about transformation or growth or individuation or the hero's journey, all these things sort of wrapped around sort of this idea um, that there's a kind of process you can go through that leads to growth. It leads to some sort of achievement in some way, but it's not linear all the time. right like the sort of uh, heroic cycle of Mm -hmm. traveling into the dark place, into the unconscious and traveling back out. Um, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before on the podcast, but there's really cycles nested within cycles, nested within cycles. So the hero's journey, your transformative process isn't necessarily linear. You might find yourself going back to previous steps or maybe you do a little cycle and then you do 10 little cycles, and mm-hmm. that's actually one big cycle in mm-hmm. itself. So you could see how the four stages of a Jungian analysis, you can see them as kind of being cyclical, but not always linear all the way through. That you might go to the transformation part and then find that you're actually returning to the confession part or <laughs> right. or every session has some element of confession that's built into it. And yes. every session itself is a cycle. Right. But I think like what we're tapping into, um, some other thoughts about what you just said, uh, is the need for confession. I mean, when we talk about therapy, Mm -hmm. um, people are going to therapists and they need to confess things. And it's often a situation where it's like, I can't talk to anyone about this. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. weird, right?
1: Yes. So weird. Right.
0: It's kind of like, uh, we accept that we take that for granted. It's like, that's the way things are. You can't, you can't talk to your friends and family about these things you have to go find a therapist. Yeah. And it's pretty strange actually. Mm-hmm. And it actually, it, it not only illustrates what therapy kind of is, but it also illustrates how much we are keeping secrets from each other. Yeah. All the time, all of our relationships, um, there's shadow material, mm-hmm. right? Cause that's really what it is. Um, there's a relational shadow that you have with everyone, you know, and you can't talk about everything with them. And there's ways that you're hurting. There's ways that you are confused or struggling and you can't let that stuff out because you can't let people see your weakness or they can't, you, you don't want people to know that you're struggling because maybe you don't want to um, cause them any trouble or yeah. distract them from their own stuff. A lot of people can just feel really self-conscious about uh, appearing weak or needing to ask for help. So we keep secrets from each other. So mm. this need for confession is um, something that is really universal that we all have. I think it's, you know, it's, it's part of part of our culture. It's part of like modern society. It's like, mm really makes it that we need to have a persona it's very very tough to just be yourself all the time you you can't always do that and so the need for confession really speaks to this dynamic we need to confess but who can we go to confess to what can we do about it Um, Mm -hmm. is it always going to be a therapist are there other forms of confession besides this the dyad could there be group confession Mm -hmm. like Alcoholics Mm -hmm. Anonymous Mm -hmm. could there be kind of a confession to the world or to God in some sense. So you can see all these different patterns playing out of how do I relieve myself of this shadow material that is bottled up inside of Mm -hmm. me and festering and festering and making me feel so unstable and volatile and anxious.
1: Yes. Okay. I have a couple of thoughts. First one is so the confessional stage is something that I think can be done in all of these different forms and isn't necessarily about doing something with it, like taking the material and starting to work with it, that's the other stages, like Mm. elucidation. Okay, let's start to interpret it. Let's put all the pieces together. What are the patterns? Like what are the archetypal um, threads that are flowing through this? And then you might then move to the education stage, which is like putting it into practice, um, building some new habits, all that stuff. And those two middle stages, especially I think is where Uh, a professional therapist and analyst really comes in and their expertise shines forth and they can guide you through that process. So it eventually leads to transformation, but the confessional stage can be done in a group setting in alcohols anonymous, or it can be done, um, as you're walking, you know, in the middle of the woods on a hike and you're just speaking something out loud that you, you've been holding back. Um, I was listening to, Murray Stein, Jungian analyst Murray Stein, talk about the the stages. And he said, you could confess to a rock. It doesn't matter. Mm. The fact of the, the what you're tapping into ultimately is uh, that element of these kind of uh, threads of shadow that exist within you that have been blocked up, where there have been uh, a kind of damming and you're releasing it finally. And so you can you can experience that cathartic element by speaking to a wall and finally just doing it, letting it go. Mm-hmm. But there is something particularly, important about having that container feel safe and approachable which often does come with more of a of a structure, I'd say yeah. like Catholic confession or the therapeutic confession but it's that initial stage ultimately is about trusting in yourself to go there in yourself and then having something else to to kind of uh, throw it against to to mirror back to you what you've just said to not condemn you and punish you. Um, although, you know, maybe we'll get into the religious side of things and, and how that plays out. But Mm. ultimately that stage is really about the personal experience of allowing the, the shadow material to, to flow from you. And that can take so many different forms.
0: Right. Externalization.
1: Right. Right.
0: I refer to this over and over again in, in our episodes, but externalization, um, is really useful. For all kinds of reasons. I mean, there, there's just the, the practicality of externalizing what's going on inside, making the inside outside or mm-hmm. taking the implicit and making it explicit. Like yeah. if you journal, uh, journaling is useful um, for many reasons, but I mean, you know, one reason is you can actually just read over what you wrote. You've externalized it. So you're looking at it sort of objectively. You're taking your inside, which is like really subjective. It's just experienced. And you're making it something that's external that can be looked at as an object and saying, Wow, I wrote that, I'm like really fucked up. Like, (laughs) holy shit, like I didn't realize like how how messed up I am because inside it's so easy for me to ignore the feelings as being something that's worrisome. Now that it's outside, like, oh my God, like what if someone else read this? Mm. And that can really give you some insight. But there's also just the embodied ritual of externalization. Yeah. which isn't just like this rational recognition of what's going on inside you because you're looking at it as an object. But the ritual, as we've talked about in a previous episode, kind of ritual, um, it is something that the body is doing, something that the body recognizes. So the same way that if you've experienced a loss, someone's died that you love, it's really important that you kind of embody some sort of ritual where like you mourn them, you let yourself cry, you go to the pain and you let it happen in your body as opposed to trying to suppress it and say, I'm too strong to feel any pain. Or like, I don't want to go there because it's too difficult. It just stays bottled up inside you. And so you can see the confession is this externalization. Mm. But it's also an embodied thing. That your body just needs to go through the process. Yeah, Crying is embodied. Mm. Talking to someone about your problems is very embodied because we're yeah. such social creatures. But even if you go and confess to a rock, there's actually sort of a deep unconscious embodied ritual that's going on mm-hmm. where you're sort of like bleh, like you're yeah. like almost like gushing out this like poison inside you yeah. and the body knows how to do that because it's been doing it for you know billions of years evolutionarily yeah and billions is, it's a strong word let's say millions of years <laughs> um and so that's important to understand it's not just like rational recognition mm-hmm. of like i did something wrong it's like another you know, ritual of it is is deeper than that more important than that
1: yeah so the goal here really is to recognize that by going through this process consciousness strengthens like the the ego kind of learns to hold more of that tension because naturally we deny the shadow we disown it so we're living in this really one-sided way where things that have happened to us things that we've done um, elements that have been at play in the environment are influencing us. That there, but it's more in the shadow. And when we don't have that face-to-face relationship with it, we ultimately act out those elements of the shadow. Uh, but we, but the shadow is the puppet master. We're mm. just you know being taken along for the ride. And the confessional aspect allows us to strengthen consciousness because when we recognize that shadow material we can choose to work with it or we can choose to enact it rather than acting it out unconsciously. And there's just that really important initial stage of admitting that to yourself and embodying the shadow and allowing it to kind of flow through you. Um, But that sort of quickly needs to be Uh, supported by recognizing that confessional alone won't change everything. There are more stages to um, the elements of integration and transformation. And I think that's why uh, the Jungian analysis stages are quite compelling because it's in some ways mapping out, at least from Jung's point of view, what those important cornerstones are for getting from the beginning of point A of a lot of suffering to that space of transformation. And that ultimately does require us to enter into relationship with others or to, to be within a contained dyad, to do something with that confessional material. And you do see that um, kind of at play in the, the ways that confession manifests in culture and society. So we see it in the therapeutic relationship. Uh, we see it also in religious settings. And I think that what was interesting kind of coming from a, pretty traditional Catholic bath background. I was like, yeah, like the Catholics are the only ones who confess, right? Yeah. But actually, upon further research, all of these different spiritual traditions have versions of it.
0: Right, right. I mean, that's the stereotype is the Catholic confession, right? <laughs> yeah. Where you go into the, <laughs> I don't even know what, it's, what the proper name is for it, but you go, you go inside the box. Right. Which I'm not even sure what what's it, what called. I think there's right. a proper name. There probably for is. Sort of I don't the, know. The booth you go in, yeah. essentially. and. A priest sits on the other side, yeah, um, behind some sort of uh, perforated wall, mm-hmm. so you guys can talk, but you don't yeah. see each other. And then someone says, "Like, Father, I have a confession to make.
1: Oh, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned.
0: Yeah, uh, I killed five people like this week or something like that. It's like that's <laughs> that's like you know in the movies, it's always kind of like this like really like climactic sort of over the top thing. Yeah, um, but that is that is the stereotype is the Catholic Church." right um and so we're familiar with that stereotype but we also I would say probably we, we didn't do extensive research on this but I, I would say probably universally there is some form yes. of ritualistic confession yeah probably in every culture um and the reason for that is probably because it's actually really useful and it's really yes. practical yes. and it's healthy yes. it, you you could even see it as keeping a group of people healthy keeping a tribe healthy some sort of ritualistic confession. Is everyone telling the truth? Did anyone do anything wrong? Did you do something wrong? Confess it. We'll talk about it. Mm. We'll forgive you. And then we're good. And then we move on, right? So you see it in um, Buddhism. I think Buddhism just as a philosophy or practice is really grounded in sort of renunciation Mm. and Mm self-denial And I think part of the uh, the whole practice of Buddhism and, and different you know lineages might emphasize this more than others is sort of um, confessing these ways in which you have done wrong to others or maybe how you've lived wrong or um, maybe ways in which you've had bad thoughts or something like that. Mm. It's part of like the monastic tradition. Mm. Um, it's really grounded in this idea of, of letting go, of giving up um uh, a lot of these sort of earthly things that are often so associated with like sin mm. and bad deeds. Um but, you know, more than just Catholicism, um Islam has confession. Uh I think it's more of a confession to Allah or God. Yeah. More so than it is to uh some sort of uh religious authority yeah. or to another person.
1: Yeah, to like an intermediary.
0: Right. Mm. And um as we already discussed, you can still do this ritualistic confession to someone other than another person who's listening and the process is still there. There's still kind of like the embodied ritual of it. And when you're confessing to this higher entity, this higher principle, um, you're really, you're really submitting yourself to a a higher judgment than just like your romantic partner who judges you and says like, you're like annoying me. Like, Uh, confessing to God really is sort of this um, more intense, probably more more sincere form of confession where it's like really like God sees all and God has these rules that you should abide by. And you can see how powerful that would be to have a regular confession to God who's like, I know that you see everything. And so there's that kind of transparency that you're already approaching it with, Mm -hmm. which is like, I can't keep anything secret from you. Um, I need to confess all these things I've done badly and I need to confess all of it because you can see everything and you can understand how powerful that would be.
1: Yeah, so there's this really strong connection with forgiveness Mm. and also with authority, I think, uh, around confession, even when it's taken down to that level between like romantic partners it's Mm -hmm. like in some ways your romantic partner has like an authority over your emotional state like they have power there they can wield a powerful sword that can liberate you but it can also cut you so when we speak those words out when we're looking for cathartic relief we are looking for someone to acknowledge what we've said to give us uh, a sense of uh, acknowledgement and forgiveness but also that there's a meaningful exchange or that there's some sort of authoritative power or some sort of like stronger archetypal dynamic at play. Because when we're confessing to the priest, which is really like that, that intermediary of God, mm-hmm. we're speaking to the highest principle. We're speaking about our soul. We're looking for uh, rejuvenation. We're looking to experience a type of, uh, I don't know, like a, a purity brought back to the spirit because we're feeling darkened feeling like the the dark tendrils of the shadow just wavering through us and how it's clouded our life and being able to speak to some individual through that that cathartic um, confessional process allows you to separate from shadow and contain it. And then it... The unacceptable somehow becomes acceptable. Mm -hmm. That which you had been denying can now be set forth in front of you to be grappled with. And that to me is like the requirement of individuation. You need to be able to work with unconscious material. And this facilitates that process. It really allows you to gain awareness and then with that awareness to be kind of guided forth through a process of development. Um, You know, in the Catholic traditions, you have some sort of penance that you're doing. You're going to say five Hail Marys or something like that. But even that is a ritual practice to sit with your shadow material and then to walk away and let go of it, to not have it uh, constantly hovering around you. bearing down upon you, uh, just lowering your sense of self. Instead, you say your prayers, you maybe speak to God, and you feel refreshed and you can move forward with that process.
0: Yeah, and you can start to see how um, confession with these religious traditions gets tied in with the idea of sin, Yeah, right? And Mm -hmm. you can see this being played with um, universally sort of uh, the notion of judgment, the notion of bad deeds versus good deeds and that um, you're sort of accumulating bad deeds over time. You're getting this list of all these bad things you've done. And once you die that you're going to be judged somehow. Mm-hmm. So like there is sort of like this stereotypical idea of like lining up at like the gate of heaven and like someone's yeah. like checking like, what's your name? Like, and then like, okay, Oh, we have like this list of all the things you've done in your life. Wow. You did a lot of really bad things. So like, Like, we pull this lever and, like, you go down to hell. That's a stereotype, but um, it's still, like, uh, this image that I think is is pretty prominent in our culture of being judged when you die. Mm. And Mm -hmm. you can see this in Christianity, definitely, with the notions of heaven and hell and the way that sin is associated with going to hell and virtue is associated with going to heaven. Um, But also, like, in Hinduism, in these notions of karma Mm. that um, you can uh, accumulate bad karma throughout your life and that's actually going to come back to haunt you or haunt a future you in your next life. And so this notion of cosmic justice is like this universal idea across cultures. Cosmic justice, the, the, the universe or God or nature or reality, what have you, is going to judge you for the way that you've behaved. Yeah, and so part of the idea behind confession is that you accumulate sin over time, but that somehow confessing that sin actually absolves you mm-hmm. of the sin. Yeah. So as you acquire this list of bad things you've done, you confess, and those sins kind of get crossed off the list. Yeah. Sort of the most like you know literal interpretation of what's happening, yeah. but you can see that being played with with karma and with Christianity and heaven and hell.
1: Yeah, well, you know, in in the Christian traditions, we believe that like man is born sinful and i think that's something that can feel really unfair and oppressive to people but if we take a psychological point of view and we're looking at sin as that carrying of shadow material to me it represents that we will always generate shadow content within us we are these sinful creatures but we also have a redemptive arc we can come into relationship with it we can uh we can have a relationship with God, which you can think of more as these higher moral principles, mm-hmm. better ways of being. And through that process, you can live a good life that benefits you, that benefits your family, that benefits your community. The whole society tends to thrive, but we have to recognize that kind of internal darkness that we all have Mm -hmm. we we all have a shadow we will all always continue to generate shadow material and you will never be fully integrated like there's no one who actually doesn't have a shadow and if someone says that i think they don't exactly know what they're talking about right but
0: we've heard that claimed a few (laughs) times so like my shadow is fully integrated
1: yeah Mm, yeah but uh no (laughs) (laughs) ultimately it's it's part of our nature, and uh, we wouldn't be truly whole if we didn't have the ability to keep dipping into the darkness of the psyche. So, our sinful nature, that uh, shadow generating, uh, property of our being ultimately gives us all these new challenges that help us grow. Because mm-hmm. to me, like shadow material is really where like the the juicy stuff is. That's yeah. where personality transformation really comes into play, and we can see it through those religious traditions. As you were saying, this is how we map that out in in ancient times, and we saw it then, and we can't forget about it now either.
0: Right. I mean, an important way to understand sin as a concept, it's kind of been trivialized and sort of mm. mocked, I yeah. feel like, um, in our culture quite a bit. But sin is a given. Mm. That's mm-hmm. supposed to be understood as far as sin goes. Yeah, It's not just like, oh, you've sinned, you go to hell, like bye. It's like that's never been the concept of sin. Sin is sort of a given. You are going to sin. You might even sin daily and that might be a given because life is difficult you're going to miss your mark. You're going to fall off the path. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah. You're going to uh, succumb to temptation. Mm. Everyone's going to do that. And so sin is is a given. And that's why confession is so important. Yeah. The idea that, like, well, no one ever needs to con- confess if they don't do anything wrong <laughs> is idealistic and silly. It's like yeah. everyone needs to confess because everyone's going to do wrong things all the time. Everyone's going to sin. And that's why the practice of confession is so important is because it is... And you can see it because it's being um, uh, carried out in all these different traditions universally. Mm -hmm. You can see that confession is actually adaptive. It's evolutionarily advantageous, Mm -hmm. you could say, Mm -hmm. for people to confess, um, for groups of people to confess to each other. And it makes perfect sense. You can see that the shadow is real. Humans have shadow. And you can see that it's actually really advantageous in this sort of like, you know, calculated functional way. If you want to think about it, like it's very advantageous if you integrate shadow regularly. Yeah. If you take what's buried within you and you bring light to it and you put it out there and you say, hey, my friend, I did you wrong and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? It's like that actually keeps the relationship healthy. So there's no superstition associated with that. It's all totally concrete and you can see it everywhere. You can see in relationships, confession mm. bringing things to light actually helps everything yeah. and everyone if done properly. There's all, of course there's always ways confession could throw things for a crazy loop if it's really extreme confession. Um, but that's that's something that's important to understand here is um, how adaptive it is, and that's why it's adopted by these religions, adopted by the cultures, is because it's like actually like this is a smart advantageous
1: thing to do yeah i think that adaptive evolutionary quality that you're talking about is highlighted really well in mythology Mm. and our stories obviously where we play out the kind of internal drama of our being so maybe we'll look at a few examples and kind of explore how we look at confession uh through mythology Mm -hmm. Um, so we were talking a lot about cosmic justice and you see that not only in the Christian tradition, but uh, from the Egyptian mythological point of view, Maat, who is the goddess of truth and justice and harmony and divine order, uh, one of her primary roles in the Egyptian religion dealt with weighing of the heart of the deceased person, mm. and um, you know, her feather was the measure that determined whether the souls could, um, go to paradise or to the afterlife or not. So you have that similar kind of uh, Christian symbol there of kind of coming to the gates of heaven and are you allowed in or not? But what you see really interestingly in Egyptian burial rites is that each person, um, would be buried with all these different items that kind of prepare them for death. And there's something called the negative confessions, um, usually within the book of the dead. And it's a list of all of these different sins, like 42 sins, which the soul of the deceased can honestly say they've never committed. So when it stands at the, at the, at the gates of Ma'at and judgment comes upon them, you know, they've already gotten written out. I did not. So it's like a, a, like, it's like confession turned on its head, But within that, also, you saw that depending on the person themselves, they would also fess up to um, misdeeds or mistakes that they did make. So there's kind of a marking of the words of absolution based on their sins, quote unquote, and that prepared them to move into the afterlife. So you see that playing out in the burial rites, both the, the recognition of the ways that you've lived in harmony with that principle of divine order, and also the ways that you've fallen short and how you've made up for it.
0: Yeah. So same pattern, right? Cosmic justice. Yeah. Heaven's gate. Mm-hmm. The judgment that comes upon you. Um, you know, it's funny we move from religion to mythology. Yeah. but Really, we just move from yeah. religion to religion, We're, yeah. Yes. or mythology to <laughs> mythology. And where do you draw the line between what's religion and what's mythology yes, is kind of it's interesting. it's blurry. Right, because Greek mythology is mythology, even though it was Greek religion. Right, yes,
1: yes. Um, so another interesting story, I think, to look at is Judas. And I think we see the principle of the confessional coming forward um, after uh, Judas gives Jesus up and he starts to feel all this regret. He returns to confess what he has done wrong, and there's kind of different versions where some people kind of hear what he has to say, um, some people kind of still pushing him out, but ultimately being this betrayer, some the betrayal of the, of the holiest principle um, <laughs> that you could possibly cross, ultimately. Um, his confessional leads to his death. And I think in some versions he he usually hangs himself, mm. but ultimately there's this recognition of when you cross this kind of really deep internal principle, especially connected to something as deeply archetypal as Jesus, that there's going to be the sudden compulsion to need to confess that you can't even carry something that heavy, but does that ultimately lead to the the removal of your guilt um, in this case not really
0: mm-hmm. yeah I mean the drive the drive to confess is something we keep sort of touching upon is that like it is like a, a pressure cooker right mm-hmm. these right. these things that you've done or these secrets that you're keeping um, or this this real you even you might say that's kept under, under the surface it's really wanting to explode outward yeah and it can't. Um, because of various constraints that you've put on yourself or maybe that other people put on you. But, um, you know, with Judas, he is overcome with his own morality. Mm. Um, and that's what's happening with the confession. Is like, I, I, I cannot hold this inside of me. Like, I, this is so wrong. I need to make it right. And how do I make things right? I say them out loud. I say what I really did. I mm-hmm. say what happened. Um, I let the world know who I really am or what I've really done. And after I've done that, even if now everyone knows and they see what a horrible person I am or what a criminal I, I am, there is still kind of this relief mm. of like, okay, well, everyone knows like it's not a secret anymore
1: I can move on now. Mm. Yeah. In this case with his death being also looking at it from that mythologic mythological and symbolic view like the the death is a, a symbolic of of psychic death that's a transformation mm. and he does it by his own hand after the confessional
0: yeah i guess that kind of brings up the idea of the hanged man card mm. for me yeah preceding the death card
1: okay interesting yeah right? yeah yeah
0: i wouldn't think of judas as being a transformation but <laughs> still it's the synthesis of all these
1: different memes and ideas and archetypes. It's always kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So a couple more examples. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to look at the Eros and Psyche story or Cupid and Psyche. And this is an incredibly famous uh, myth about um, this individual heroine Psyche who uh, is married to Cupid, a.k.a. Eros, and, but doesn't ever know who he is, or what he looks like, and there's this kind of agreement between them. She lives in this nice place; she's taken care of. Um, he comes every night, and they share time together. But she doesn't know what he looks like, and you know the the story goes on to eventually have her at this very critical moment where she's been sort of pestered by her sisters, and you might say that's kind of analogous to these kind of whispering. Uh, voices and parts of herself saying who is it like who is that in the darkness i must know despite the agreement and so she lights a candle and she looks at cupid and she's overcome with his beauty she spills candle wax she burns him and he flies off and leaves her behind and there's this deep dread of having uh, not only hurt the the individual that she loved but there's a violation of trust it's psyche's sin Uh, That she broke the agreement and she goes on then on this kind of heroine's quest to absolve herself of this sin by going through all these different trials that are given to her from Aphrodite, um, Cupid's mother. And you see her move through all these different stages having to absolve herself of what has happened. By answering to that principle of the goddess, by mm. recognizing her wrong doings. And eventually, this does lead to uh, Cupid and Psyche coming back together. And then she's sort of lifted up into sacredness. She becomes uh, a goddess. She eats, you know, the fruit of the ambrosia. She's allowed to really marry uh, Cupid in an official way and live on Olympus. And so you see this very interesting arc of her. Uh, purity and her innocence and then the sin um, and needing to kind of move through an embodied confessional that eventually gets her back into right relationship and transformed into something much higher.
0: Right. So again, this this absolution of something bad that you've done and the idea that that's possible. um, After you've sinned, after you've uh, carried out these bad deeds, that's not the end. Mm. You still have the opportunity to make things right. And so you can, you can understand how mythologically this would be an important theme to explore is the possibility of making things right. Yeah. You've done something bad. You've fallen off the path. You can still get back on the path and you can make up for it by uh, doing such a positive deed that it cancels out the negative deed. Mm. Um, and again, that's not just like in God's eyes or just like the superstitious mumbo jumbo. Um, you can see that just in everyday life that um, you can make mistakes but it's not the end of the world once you make a mistake. And if you just interpret your life that way mm. of like, oh, well, I lost my job. I guess I will never have a job again. And I'm not cut out for working. It's like that's a ridiculous mindset and we all know that. Mm. There's no secret there. It's yeah. like, no, you can, you, can, you can make up for this. Work really hard. Change your patterns. Um, condition yourself to be a better person. Uh, go ask for forgiveness from all the people that you hurt. And it actually does bring things back to a balance that is a virtuous balance. And that's real. That's concrete. And the mythology dramatizes that.
1: Mm. So one last consideration. What happens when we don't confess our sins? When we allow them to grow darker and more shadowy and they really start to fester? Um, The the tale that came to mind was Guinevere and Lancelot Mm who... Uh, are having an affair and of course Guinevere is the queen of King Arthur and Lancelot is one of his most prominent knights of the round table and they fall in love and you know it's very much that kind of story of feeling so caught up in these deep powerful emotions and there's lots of different versions of, uh, of of different adventures where Lancelot is the one who goes out and saves Guinevere because she was captured. It wasn't Arthur. So there's this real sense of depth of connection that they have. But ultimately, Guinevere is married to Arthur and they begin this romantic relationship that when left in the darkness and left in the shadow, festers in such a way that when it comes out, it's like an explosion And it's revealed because someone else reveals it, and that causes Arthur and Lancelot to become these warring kind of factions against each other, and war breaks out, and um, Arthur's throne is in jeopardy. And in some versions, this does lead to the death of Arthur, which is that the the principal of, of the king who's running that ordered nature of, of, of the land of keeping everything in place for it, for the individuals. But something within that psychic landscape within the kingdom was festering that whole time. And that element of not confessing and not bringing it forward made it so that when it really did finally break into the surface of consciousness, it wreaked havoc. It destroyed everything in its, uh, in its, in its way.
0: Right, so this is a pattern that we've talked about a lot is the kind of bottling up of shadow material and that the the integration of shadow material is something you do gradually, slowly, and as you do that, you process it and you process it in a safe, controlled way and you're able to grow and develop because of that. Um, Whereas instead, if you just bottle up shadow material and it just builds and builds and builds and builds, eventually it does explode outward and it Mm -hmm. does so in in opportune times, in in inappropriate ways. Um, if you don't vent your aggression and angst uh, and you just pretend everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, you might find yourself set off at one moment and you just lose control mm. and you might lose control violently Yeah. or maybe you get drunk and you lose control violently. i obviously speaking from a masculine viewpoint, but um, you can see this in relationships Romantic relationships, especially, is if you're not talking about what's going on, if you're keeping secrets from each other, and you just keep not talking, if the secrets just build up over and over and over and over, um, over time, something's going to happen, and your relationship is just going to end. It's going to be so explosive and damaging that you can't possibly pick up the pieces. Mm. And so, it's important to little little piece by piece, little drop by drop, to integrate that shadow. Mm. And you can see this almost like it's a metaphysical property. Cause like when we're talking about like the flood, for instance, right. Yeah. The flood is sort of this idea is like, if you're not prepared for something bad to go wrong, if you're not sort of like making sure that everything's in order all the time, when something finally does go wrong, it destroys everything mm. and it's catastrophic. So it's important to anticipate that the flood is coming. It's important to be responsible. It's important to do your maintenance. Mm. Um, uh other so when the flood comes you're prepared and it doesn't just destroy your entire life and so we can see this again point out mythology over and over again is the importance of the gradual piece by piece of integrating the shadow yeah. making that those contents known shining a light on the darkness um a yeah. little bit at a time to keep it at bay yeah
1: yeah so Aaron, you got any modern examples for us right
0: right so it's my turn now Aaron's <laughs> pop culture references <laughs> Okay, so this this Tyson took and of actually, but like Game of Thrones, right? Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones is so rich, and I, I feel like we'll keep bringing up Game of Thrones. Um, yeah. Spoiler alert! Spoiler! Spoiler alert! Um, <laughs> but Game of Thrones has it's such a a, a rich universe, and there's so many characters. Mm-hmm. But a huge part of the Game of Thrones Game of Thrones plotline is secrets, yeah. right? Uh, they're they're really useful plot devices, but um, and so they're used a lot. But it's it's a very good illustration of the power of uh, a secret to rip apart the entire world. Mm. And so Jamie and Lannis, sorry, Jamie and Cersei have a secret, and they're trying really really hard to make sure that no one finds out. Yeah. And they kind of have to. Right. It's not like oh, just integrate that shadow. It's like no, they'll be executed if they do. Yeah. Um, but they keep the secret and. There's all these opportunities for the secret to get out, for people to find out, and people are finding out, right. and so they're doing everything they they can to make sure that no one finds out. Bran gets pushed out the window because of the secret. Mm-hmm. This starts off this huge war. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Starks go to war with the Lannisters, and the country is torn apart yeah. because of these secrets. Um, John, uh, there's a secret kept. He's actually the heir to the throne, mm-hmm. but. It, uh, for most of the series it's portrayed that he is just some low bastard mm. child and this secret is such a prominent thing that's kept under wraps and it destroys uh ned's life yeah he yeah. dies for it right. it messes up his marriage with yes. with uh catelyn mm-hmm. this sort of secret that john is actually supposed to be king um catherine uh, catelyn thinks that ned has cheated on her yeah. and had uh, this child with a with a prostitute, right? And the so honorable
1: did, Ned Stark, right. the virtuous Ned Stark, who never right. sins,
0: right? So he keeps the secret, yeah. and it kind of tears apart um their relationship. It mm-hmm. kind of tears apart the family in certain ways, yeah. Um, so that's a, a mythological plane with the idea of like confession will keep the world from blowing up, essentially.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. This is so it's such an interesting mirror of the Guinevere and Lancelot story, just like. <laughs> Total destruction and war that comes from it. But at the same time, how could you have admitted to it? It was always going to be bad. Uh,
0: These are also some some like really random. These are just like came off the top of my head. This isn't very like, um, uh, what would you say, Uh, structured or consistent. Um, So I'm going to move to this movie Almost Famous. And there's a scene in Almost Famous where the band, which is like the main characters of the movie, they're on a plane and they think the plane's going to crash. Yeah. And because they think that everyone's going to die, they all just start randomly <laughs> confessing things. Like they just start saying like, uh, okay, Johnny, like I'm sorry. Like I slept with your wife like twice. And he's like, Oh, you bastard. Like, why did you do that? And, um, uh, you know, one of the other band members, I can't really remember, but just like confesses like, Oh, like that, that was me that like stole your guitar and threw it in the dumpster. That's not actually what happened. I can't remember. But, uh, and then like one guy's like confesses like, okay, like, I'm gay. Right. He like right. screams um, it out. Yeah, he screams it out. But then the, the plane settles and they all survive. Um, but it's like, well, it's funny. And it also like right. makes sense that maybe that would actually happen. Yeah. And, you know, the question is why? It's mm-hmm. like because everyone's holding on to these secrets. Yeah. Everyone actually wants to confess. And if right. they could confess without any consequences, they would. Yeah. And so if everyone's about to die – there are no consequences anymore. Mm. And so everyone just starts confessing. They keep saying all these things that I've done in my life, all these things that you don't know about, all these secrets I've kept from you, it feels so relieving to do this yeah. and to do so before I die, mm. to do so before I get judged by God, to do so before I arrive at uh, that that heaven's gate, that cosmic justice.
1: Yeah, there's some sort of like inner law that takes over, like this archetypal principle that's connected to that divine justice, the divine order, we know we're going to be judged in some ways it's a way to look at it, but ultimately like we need to go through this process of coming to terms with our own material so we can move into that kind of next transition.
0: Um, a similar one is crouching tiger, hidden dragon, uh, at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, um, Lee Mubai, who is like the, uh, the great swordsman and one of the main characters, um, he's poisoned and he's dying and he knows he's going to die. And, like, with his last few breaths, he confesses his love for um, Yushu Yushulian, who is another one of the main characters. Uh, and they've been in love with each other their entire lives, but they could never confess it to each other because um, of honor, essentially. Because uh, the woman's husband was Li Mubai's brother or something like that. And it would be dishonorable for mm-hmm. them to actually um, come together after that, so because there's no consequences. He has this deep secret. He has this thing that he cannot say out loud and it's, it's been burdening him his entire life. And then once the consequences disappear because he's about to die, he confesses. Mm. And that's the one last thing he wants to do before he dies, before he again arrives at this gate of heaven almost and gets judged.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. Last one, uh, in the matrix cipher, um, he betrays everyone. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I guess we should probably <laughs> just stop saying that. But seriously, um, we're always going to be ruining these movies for you. Um, but he's about to betray everyone and kill everyone. know, yeah. he does kill a few people. And the entire time, he's confessing what he's done. And that's, like, partly, like, a plot device. Like, let's tell you the plot. Like, <laughs> audience, here's the plot. But it is also illustrating this, this secret that he has. And it feels so good to him to confess yeah. as he's murdering. Um, his supposed friends and uh, crewmates, um, and he confesses that um, he's betrayed Morpheus, and that he would he would love to see Morpheus's face as he knows, mm-hmm. as he finds out that Cipher was the one who betrayed him, and he confesses his love for Trinity. Yeah, um, before he is about to kill her, and he's getting that satisfaction, that deep satisfaction of wetting out that shadow Mm. and saying, it was me all along. Ha 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 ha. Like he wouldn't have to say anything. He could just kill them. Yeah. But instead he gets this deep pleasure, this huge relief out of uh, releasing that pressure Mm. that suppressed information and making it explicit, putting it out into the world.
1: Yeah. So I think the challenge really is for the everyday individual to consider how to invite confessional into their life. Are there ways to approach it from, I don't know, something that seems manageable and sustainable in your everyday personal relationships, leaning a little bit more into honesty, into that internal truth that kind of allows the, the ebbing of the shadow to come kind of closer and closer? Um, is it time to maybe move into a therapeutic or analytic relationship to explore those deep Elements of sin and darkness you carry? Is there a spiritual guide or religious elder that can facilitate that experience? Because as we've seen through all these different elements over this episode is that it's woven in through life in fiction, in mythology, in religion, in the psyche. So we need to facilitate confession. We don't want that to be pushed into the shadow. We want to invite it in and allow ourselves to really ease into the process of shadow work uh, because it's it's critical for individua- individuation. It's critical for us to really become a whole is to acknowledge our dark side and to allow it to grow with us.
0: Yeah, and you can play with this also like right now. You don't need to necessarily find a therapeutic relationship. You don't mm-hmm. need to find a young analyst. You don't even need to talk to anyone else. Yeah, You can experiment with this If there's a secret you have, if there's something that you're keeping under the surface because you don't want anyone to know about it or you're too embarrassed or you can't show your weakness or you can't show who you really are, if you just try saying it out loud to yourself, you are externalizing some of these contents. Mm. It's inside of you and you can have thoughts where you're sort of acknowledging it in your mind, but that's really not the same thing as the embodied speaking putting it to words, when you externalize it, it makes it real, it makes it concrete, concrete, and you might actually find that it can be very powerful just to say out loud that, um, you know, I'm a weak person, I'm a terrible person, or, uh, you know, I broke the lamp and I didn't tell anyone, I blamed it on the dog or something like that. You could say that out loud and you'll find that you are, in some sense, relieving this burden that you have, this pressure that you have. Um, you can also, and this might sound strange to, to some people, but you can also talk to God. Yeah, Talk to some being who is sort of a higher abstracted principle um, who is still anthropomorphized but still like who listens to you mm. but is more than just like a rock or a wall that might be hard to have a conversation with. You can find that if you personify reality, you can actually have a conversation with it you might find it incredibly therapeutic to be able to unload these secrets. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash golden shadow org.
1: If you'd like to keep up to date with our projects, attend one of our live events or work one-on-one with myself or Aaron, head to www.goldenshadow.org.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: See you later.